Okay. So, thinking uh, earlier at the start of our service about this idea of Galatians and you know, entering the world of Galatians, and we sort of undergo this kind of culture shock, um, and how, mu- how hard it is, what a struggle it is for us to make sense of Paul's kind of ferocity, uh, his absolute commitment um, to believing certain specific, de- defined truths, and not just believing those with passion himself, but insisting, insisting that the church, everyone in the church, believes those the same things. Um, and you're claiming, he's claiming that the decisions that we make about what we will believe really, I mean, really matter. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of got used, I think, to the idea of knowing that we probably all disagree on stuff and believe different things and that we can all kind of happily coexist with that sort of reality in the life of the church. And you know, we saw a few weeks ago that actually there are places where, where Paul is like, yeah, that's fine. But when you get to the, you know, what is the gospel? You know, this core that beats at the heart of the church. There is no compromise. You know, um, legalism, which we've been thinking about over the last few weeks, and the gospel, they simply cannot happily uh, coexist. They, they will always be at war. They'll be pulling the church, pulling Christians in opposite directions. And, 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 it, and Paul's thing is that if you believe the wrong things at that sort of foundational level of Christianity, if you believe the wrong things, there are hugely serious kind of consequences to that. And that it would be wrong, actually, for us just to kind of, yeah, well, you know, uh, let's just live and, and, and let live. I, you know, I'll, I'll sit in my small corner and you sit in yours. I'll believe what I want, you believe what you want. Paul would be like, that would be catastrophic for the people involved and for a church to try to kind of do that, straddle that divide. Um, now, th- this is actually something that in the history of the church has been, has been sort of recognized and understood. Um, Martin Luther um, he's got this thing. He said, I am not permitted to, to let my love be so merciful as to tolerate and endure false doctrine. Isn't that interesting? We're like, oh, we've all got to be loving and accepting. And Luther's like, no, you don't. Not, not when there's false doctrine at, at work here. When faith and doctrine are concerned and endangered, Neither love nor patience are in order. When these are concerned, neither toleration nor mercy are in order, but only anger and dispute and destruction. That, to be sure, only with the Word of God as our weapon. Now, it's interesting, when you read that, you think, oh my gosh, that's so, that feels a bit, oh, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that. But doesn't that resonate with exactly what we've seen from the Apostle Paul over the last few weeks? You know, that is exactly where Paul is at. Um, and, and it's not just that, you know, this is something that we dig up from the, you know, from history, you know, 400 years ago. It's not even just that this is something that goes on right back in the New Testament days. Uh, this was something that Paul anticipated pastors 
doing as part of their job description. Right? So when Paul is writing to Timothy, um, uh, and he's laying out for Timothy, Timothy, this is your job, all right? You're a pastor. So in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. All right? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. And it's this next bit. Correct. Right? So when someone is going wrong in what they believe or how they live as a pastor, your job is to correct them. And the next word's even stronger, isn't it? Rebuke them. Rebuke and, and encourage, you know, uh, as well. You know, if people are going well, get behind them, support them, encourage them. Do it with great patience. Do it with careful instruction. And then he warns, there will be a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Like, whoa. Maybe we'll do Timothy sometime. I don't know. But it's like, I mean, can you imagine, right? You know, I don't know. Is that what you expect from your vicar? Yeah. Bit of rebuke. Bit of correction. Obviously with patience and careful instruction. But, you know, it's like, how about if I got, got, you know, Paul's opening words from our reading tonight. You fools! It's like, that's not what we expect from Church of England clergy. Do you know what I mean? You're an idiot! Oh, it's like, no, but is that, is that what Paul's calling us to? Is that what he's modeling for us? And, and it's so important for Paul. Remember, for Paul, it, you know, where did this, where does the gospel come from? It's not something that's been sort of come out of human conjecture or, or our opinions or our thoughts. It's something that has come from Jesus. Alright, it's, it's like, it, the origins is what gives Gives us such such a, a a matter of seriousness. You see, we we think uh, this is interesting. We think that when you start to get too confident about what you believe in, that's arrogance. Yeah, uh, and and we we like to think you know you you gotta you gotta yeah believe stuff, but believe it with humility. All right, be humble about what you believe in. Don't don't. Get, you know, take the high ground and try to enforce it on other people because that's arrogant. Now, here's the thing. That's actually completely the wrong way around if what you're talking about is something that has been given to us from Jesus. You see, if, if what we believe is something that has been given to us from Jesus, then what's the humble thing to do in that situation? The humble thing to do is to say, okay, Jesus knows what he's talking about, so I'm going to listen very carefully. I'm not going to tamper with it. I'm not going to add anything or take anything away. I'm just going to assume Jesus knows what he's talking about, and I'm going to take on board what he says. And I'm going to really buy into it. Because it's Jesus. That's humility. Right? I'll tell you what arrogance is. Arrogance is, well, I know what Jesus says, but to be frank with you, I think I know better. Alright, and I'm gonna just, you know, tamper with it, I'm gonna to add to it, take it away, leave the bits I don't like. That, that's, that's devastating arrogance. To take the word of God and say, nah, it's alright, I can work stuff out by myself, thanks. No, no, no. Alright, humility bows before what it is that Jesus has revealed. But you see, Paul is so, so kind of 
uh, in people's faces about this, not just because of where the message comes from, but about because of where the message will take you. All right, so again from Galatians 1. All right, notice that the message is what takes you to God. All right, so he says, I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. All right, so this isn't just, you're not deserting a position, a theological position. You're not putting down an opinion. All right, by, by changing what you believe, Paul said to the Galatians, you're actually deserting the person from whom that message comes and about whom that message is about. You know what I mean? All right? See, that's, that's the thing. It's like, right? And you're going back to, we'll, we'll see this in, uh, in a couple of weeks, you're going back to those who by nature are not gods. See, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Did you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You see, for Paul, what you believe is going to connect you to spiritual reality. It's going to either bring you into relationship with God, it's going to um, reconcile you to God, and it's going to, 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 to bring you into, into His future, it's going to bring you into His blessing, it's going to bring you into His new creation, it's going to bring you, as we'll see tonight, it's going to bring you into the experience of His Holy Spirit, or, or, what you believe will take you back into idolatry and into connection with spiritual realities that are very, very, very much not about God. You see, what you believe engages you always with spiritual reality. What you believe is not just a matter of intellect. It's a matter of spirituality. And this is why Paul is hes like, you've got to believe the gospel all right, don't, don't mess about with that, okay? Don't, don't, don't get rid of that. Don't turn away from that. Don't tamper with that. Don't replace it with anything because what you believe connects you either to God or to idols and to dark and demonic spiritual realities. Now, this, we see this in tonight's reading, this, this way in which what we believe connects us or exposes us to spiritual reality. All right? You foolish Galatians, says Paul. Right? That's quite, again, I think that's quite shocking for us. We're not used to, to, to Christians talking like that. But Paul's just like, seriously, guys, you're just idiots. All right? You know, who has bewitched you? Isn't that, an, isn't that an interesting question to ask? Right? It's not like, okay, who convinced you with logic and rhetoric? Right? Who argued you out of believing the gospel? Who created that sense of intellectual doubt in your minds? No, no. Right? See, for Paul, the fact that there's a church here that is turning away from the gospel, Paul's like, Hank, no, there's something spiritual at work here. Right. Who has bewitched you? All right. See, Paul understands that there must be some dark 
spiritual force at work in the life of the Galatian church that has been introduced, brought into the life of that church by these false teachers who are presenting this message that Paul says is really no gospel at all. You see, it's not just about the freedom to believe whatever you want to believe. You know, Paul's like, no, what you believe matters. It's similar to um, the situation at Corinth, isn't it? Where Paul, uh, writing to the church at Corinth in Greece, says, I am afraid, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see the way Paul there links this being deceived by Satan with your minds being led away from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Alright, there's this interplay between spiritual reality and what goes on in our minds, in our intellect. If someone comes to you, Paul goes on, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 to 4, if you want to be looking it up later. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, it sounds very like the opening language in Galatians, doesn't it? A gospel other than the gospel we preached. If someone comes and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or, this is frightening, This is frightening. Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. See, this thing, Paul's like, you know, it's not just about what you believe or don't believe. It's not just, well, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a matter of opinion. Paul's like, no, no, Satan is at work in this issue. All right? You know? Um, and and in, in, actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, just a little further on in the same chapter, Paul nails it. He says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. I, I, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I, I don't know if you've ever thought of the, the question of what I believe as being an arena of spiritual warfare. But that certainly seems to be how Paul sees it. Before your very eyes, Paul goes on in tonight's reading, Galatians 3, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Alright? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Alright? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Well, by believing the Gospel. You see, what you believe is what brings you into connection with and relationship with spiritual reality. Alright? And and Paul is preaching this Gospel that has been given to him by Jesus Christ. Alright, the gospel is about Jesus Christ. Not just, you know, Jesus Christ is some kind of historical event, historical person. 
But it's about, you know, it's, it's again, it's the same as what he says at Corinth. You know, when I was among you, I resolved to know nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Same thing in Galatia. Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. Uh, that, that, that death that is still having its impact on, on us. Even all these years later, it is still there. Remember, uh, looking at this last week at the end of Galatians 2, Paul's like, you know, this, is, this isn't some remote historical event. This is something that as a Christian, I am caught up into. Right? This affects me. This shapes me. This is my experience. This is who I become. I am somebody who is crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All right? And it's through that gospel, and it is through our receiving and believing that gospel in its purity, in its entirety, it is through our committing ourselves, as it were, intellectually to that, that message that the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is then unleashed into the life of the church. Galatians 3, verse 5. Paul, he comes back. He's like, it's like a hammer hitting a nail in. He just keeps coming back to it. Does God give you His Spirit? Does God work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? Right? What you believe matters. It has actual, tangible, spiritual consequences. We can't just shrug off the question of doctrine, the question of what we believe and why we believe it is, you know, well, that's a bit intellectual for me. All right, no. This is about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's not too intellectual for you to navigate. This is the, the, the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. All right, and, and this is Paul's thing. It's like, you know, this, there's this other gospel that's really no gospel at all that's legalistic. That's about saying, you know, you've got to be good enough, right? That, you've got to perform. You've got to do the religious stuff. You've got to do the ritual stuff. You've got to do the moral stuff. You've got to do, you've got to get this all lined up and you've got to be good enough and then God will accept you. And Paul's like, look, if that's what you believe, then you are out of relationship with God and you are not going to know the Spirit of God at work in your midst, in your life as an individual, or in the life of your church. It is the gospel. It is this message that has content, that has specific beliefs embedded in it. It is this gospel that, has, that, it, that is doctrine. This gospel is what connects us to the life of God that is lived out through us and in us by the Holy Spirit that God gives. And, and this, I want you to... This, I mean, just think about this, okay? This, these two messages that we've got competing at, for the heart of the church at Galatia. All right? Think about the vision of God that lies behind each of those two gospels, so-called. All right? The gospel, the gospel that Paul preaches, the God who lies behind that gospel is a, is a God of such grace and such generosity, and such compassion, 
Alright? It's a God of love who, who loves the world and gives His Son, sends His Son into the world at such incredible cost to Himself. And then as people believe what Jesus is doing and are caught up in the cross, He then gives His Spirit. He pours His Spirit into the life of these people who, to whom He has given righteousness. Right? Everything about the gospel is about the generosity and the grace of God. I mean, that is the God we worship at MIE, right? That is the God we want to be in relationship with. That is the God who we gather and come before and want to meet with and encounter. This God who loves, this God who gives and gives and gives of Himself. That is the vision of God at the heart of the gospel that Paul preaches. Now, think about the vision of God that is at the heart of the legalist gospel. Alright? Think about that God. You know, this God who says, here are the rules. Here's the ritual. Here's the religiosity. Now, you've got to do that if you want to be good enough for me. How do you think about it? It's like, you know, like, I'm a dad. Yeah? Now, think of it, if I related to my kids like that, do you know what I mean? That would be like tantamount to kind of relational abuse. All right, guys, um, you know, yeah, I'm your dad. Um, well, look, here's ten rules. Yeah, now you go, off you go, you, and you, you figure out how to keep those rules. And when you're keeping those rules good enough, you come to me and I'll provide for you. And if you really keep them, then I might love you, but we'll see, we'll see how you perform. Like, really? What kind of dad? Well, some of us had dads like that, and it's, it's messed us up. It's ruined us for life. And then we're going, yeah, that's the kind of God I want to worship. It's like, what are you, mad? I suppose that you foolish Galatians, who would you? you got this God of grace and love and mercy and compassion and generosity who will give you righteousness, who will give you His Son, who will give you His Spirit, and you're going to turn away from that for this abusive God who's going to mess up your life? What are you, nuts? And that's why Paul is so agitated about it. He says, don't you understand? You're going to damage. This is a hellish view of God. You will be crushed by this God. And it will destroy your church. And that's why Paul is like, seriously, guys, you you make that choice, you're fools. You foolish, foolish Galatians. Alright? You don't want, you do not want the God that lies behind the gospel of legalism. You don't want that God. You really don't. Right? And you want the God that is behind the gospel of, that Paul has been preaching. Now, that gospel, that gospel, says Paul, has always been the foundation stone of the church. All right? This gospel of God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's giving of His Son... God's giving of His Spirit. God's giving of the righteousness that we need in order to be in relationship with Him. That vision of God, that gospel has always, 
It has always been the foundation of the church. All right? <laughs> and, and, and Paul's like, it doesn't matter how far back you go. In fact, Paul takes us right back to the book of Genesis. And he's like, this gospel of faith in Jesus, that is always, it has always been the foundation of authentic Christianity. Understand then, says Paul, that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. You see, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Right? Which isn't to say that, um, okay, the gospel is this message that's going to come into play way in the future, but I'm going to kind of tell you it now. It's like, no, the gospel, it's, the gospel is, for Abraham, is a message that is in advance of the events that that gospel is about. Right? Jesus hasn't died yet when God gives the gospel to Abraham. Yeah, but the gospel is coming to him in advance. Uh, all nations will be blessed through you. So it is those who rely on faith who are blessed along with Abraham, who is the man of faith. You see, Paul's like, this legalism thing, this, this thing where, you know, you have to be good enough, religious enough, you have to be moral enough before God will accept you, before God will love you, before God will give himself to you in relationship. Say, that has never been, that has never been the message of Scripture. You know, we can sometimes think that, you know, in the Old Testament, it was all about keeping the law. And in the New Testament, it's all about grace. Paul's like, That's, that is rubbish. That's the way legalists read the Bible. That's the way the, we saw last week, didn't we? That's how the Pharisees read the Bible. And Jesus was not happy with the Pharisees' way of reading the Bible. Right? Paul's like, it has always been about faith. It has always been about God justifying us by grace. All right, through what Christ would do. When, when Abraham became a Christian, was it because he kept the law good, in a good enough way? All right, we're going to see next week. Paul's like, look, the law wasn't even going to be given for another 430 years. All right, how can Abraham have kept the law when it wasn't even given yet? That's good. I mean, it's not rocket science. We're not doing exegetical somersaults to prove some obscure random point. It's, it's like, it's, Paul's like, it's ju just read the Bible. We're talking about something that happens in Genesis. The law isn't given until Exodus. It's not rocket science. Right? It's grace. It's faith in Christ. It's the gospel. The same gospel that Paul is preaching. When, when God saved Abraham... He was a pagan idolater living in what would later become Babylon. Right? He was not a good guy. But God saves him through the gospel by faith. By faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. All right? And, and it's, it's through the seed. It's through Abraham's seed. We'll, uh, we'll come back to that next week. All right? But this whole thing about Abraham, okay, where did Paul learn how to argue like this from the Bible? 
Right? He learned how to argue like this from Jesus. Remember in John 8? Exactly this question of who, who are the children of Abraham? And, you know, it's the Pharisees again, and they're like, we are Abraham's descendants. You know, we keep the law. We've been circumcised. We'll get into that in a few weeks as well, just to give you a warning. All right. Um, but this is like, he's like, we're the, we're the holy ones. We're the righteous ones. We're the pure ones. We're the ones who've been religious enough. Remember the Pharisees? Thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. I fast. I, I, you know, I give a tenth of everything I earn. I keep the law. We are the children of Abraham. What is that? And Jesus, Jesus just never gives in to these guys. He's, guys, seriously, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did, which is trust me, have faith in me, worship me. Right, so what Paul's doing in Galatians, he's just he's copying Jesus, which Paul does an awful lot of, actually. He does it an awful lot. He's just picking up what, something that Jesus has done and he's applying it into the life of the church at Galatia. But this, this tension that, that Paul is tackling in Galatians, this, this, and that Jesus is tackling in his day, this is a, a, a battle that has always threatened to tear the heart of the church in two. All right, this, this thing, this, this idea that the way God accepts us is when we're good enough when we're pure enough, when we're holy enough, when we're religious enough. And, and we have it, as, you know, as Christians we have it. You know, if I, have, if I read my Bible enough, if I have good enough quiet times. You know, it's like I do this. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is the default spiritual posture of fallen humanity. We are, by instinct, we are all legalists. You know, that's just the way we are. It's what sinful humanity does. You know, so like if I've got a big preaching gig on somewhere, you know, like you know, here. Now I'm thinking bigger than here. Do you know what I mean? Like a really important preaching gig. One of these like, like I will have my quiet time faithfully every day for two weeks before I get up. Why? Well, because if I'm really, really holy and spiritual, then God will bless me. It's like, what idiot, you foolish prentice. You know what I mean? It's, it's amazing how this works in all the time. We, we really want God to deliver on something. And so what do we do? Well, we're really committed about believing in Jesus and going to church and praying and stuff. Right? Because we think if I'm good enough, then, then God will do what I want Him to do. Uh, it's just insidious. It's always there, lurking like a shadow in our hearts. Alright, and, and Paul's like, this has always been a battle at the heart of the church. All the way through the Old Testament. Alright, we've seen it in Jesus, we see it in, in, in the New Testament letters, like Galatians. But Paul's like, actually, all the way through the Old Testament, there's this battle to keep the gospel at the heart of the church. Always. It's always been there. Alright. And, and you know, we'll see next week, Paul's like, that, that struggle really reaches, its, its, it becomes its most intense when the law is given. Now, here's a diagram that I've made up. So it might not, be, it might not work. But I think it, it, it looks complicated, but it's not. All right? Um, and we're going to come back to this diagram a few times over the next couple of weeks. Now, the big red bar, all right? This big red bar, this one here. 
Okay, just in case you can't spot the big red bar. It's that one. The big, the big one that's red. All right, that's the one we're looking at. Yeah. Now, do you remember when we got to the end of um, Hebrews? Uh, we were talking, well, we were talking in the passage at the end of Hebrews, it talks about this sort of the eternal covenant. Do you remember that? I'm, I'm, um, we've, we've looked, been looking at it in the Jesus-centered life Bible studies over the last couple of weeks as well, that, that before, before creation was even called into being, God had already made covenant. The Father had already entered into covenant with the Son. And the Son was, He is the Lamb of God that was slain since the creation of the world. Alright, He is the one who was chosen before time began. Alright, there was, there was, this was always going to be how God saved His people. It was always going to be through Jesus. Alright, so right from the word go, you know, Adam and Eve, right? Bam, here they are, the first people that need to be saved. How are they going to be saved? There's going to be, there's a promised seed. A serpent crusher who's going to come and slay Satan, the dragon. It was always about you. How is Abraham saved? Through, through his seed. We'll look at that next. That's next week's sermon. Stop. Right. Back to this. Okay. All right. There's all, this is always how people were going to be saved. And when we have been, it's like that, that hymn, isn't it? Um, Amazing grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, all right, in, in new creation, we will still have been saved and we will still be in relationship with God and we will still be there because of this gospel, this eternal covenant that the Father made with the Son, that the Son would come, that He would die, that He would, He would, He would bestow on us, He would give to us as a gift. His righteousness. And that that would be the grounds of our acceptance before God. That is always, it always has been, it always will be. Whenever you have lived, wherever you have lived, however you have lived, if you are saved, it is because of that red line. The yellow line is the law. Okay? Given at Sinai, runs through until just after the death of Jesus. Okay, now, just see this. It's, and, and, and we'll come back to this and we'll look at this a little bit more closely next, next week. Um, but for this week, all I want you to see is, how is it that you are saved? You are saved by being in the red line. All right? And for part of the church's history, the law was a big deal in the church's experience. So, so okay, so this is how, you know, under the law... Um, the, the curse of the law is that people, is that Israel, Judah goes into exile at Babylon. Yeah? So here's the question. How can somebody like Daniel, who's like a total, totally born again Christian, how can somebody like Daniel be under the curse of the law? Be in exile? How can Esther, like this amazing woman of God, how can she be in exile? You see, in, in the Old Testament, people lived in both of these. And you could be in the blessing of, of one. You could be genuinely saved and restored and in relationship with God. But also suffering the, um, the, the, the curse and the consequence of the, the, the law. All right? Now, the problem is, the real problem is, is when you get these mixed up. Or, or when you start to think that, 
the yellow one is that's how you become a Christian. Right? That's how you get saved. Alright? Not with the, not in the red line, but in the yellow line. Alright? It's like, if I, if I keep the law, alright, if I'm, if I'm religious enough, if, if, if I do the right rituals, if I say the right words, you know, if I behave in the right way, if I wear the right clothes, then I will be saved. Alright? And when you forget that eternal covenant and you just focus on the law, that is the gateway to legalism. That is when you start getting people saying, I can be good enough on my own. I don't need Jesus. Alright? And Paul's dealing with this all the way through the Bible. Romans 10. See, they did not know the righteousness of God, but they sought to establish their own. Right? They, I can be righteous enough on my own. I can take the yellow one and that's going to get me into relationship with God. I don't need the red one. They don't submit to God's righteousness. Right? Paul had this himself. This was Paul's own personal experience. Right? As for righteousness based on the law, Paul's like, I was faultless. I actually did it. You know? But he's now, he considers all that rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, right? So it's not that I've been good enough because I've kept all the rules. What does he want? He wants a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, right? Or back to Galatians 3, tonight's reading. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them, right? So the, the law isn't like, all right, well, I'll come to Jesus and trust Him to make me righteous. The law is like, I can do this on my own. I can take the law and I can keep it well enough in order to be acceptable to God. And all the way through the Old Testament, right, all the way through the Old Testament, there has been the warning, don't treat the law like that. That's not what the law is about. Right? And we'll, we'll, this... I keep thinking ahead to next week because really it's a sermon in two parts. But all the way through the Old Testament, the warning has been, don't be a legalist. Don't try to use the law to earn your way into God, to be good enough for God. You can't do it. Do you know about Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal? All right, so um, when, the, when, when, is, when, when the ancient church was going to go into the promised land, one of the first things they were to do was they were to separate into two halves. And there would be six tribes would go on to Mount Gerizim and six tribes would go on to Mount Ebal. All right? And um, the, 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 the tribes in Mount Gerizim were to announce all the blessings of the law. All right? And the, the guys on Mount Ebal, they had to pronounce all the curses that would come uh, if, if the law is broken. Right? You can read all this in Deuteronomy uh, verses, uh, chapters 27 and, and 28, all the, what all those curses were. Now, here's the thing. They had to build an altar to make a sacrifice. Where do you think they had to build the altar? Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal? Mount Ebal. All right. You see, this is what Paul says, look. And he quotes Deuteronomy 27 in, Gala in his letter to the Galatians. All who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. Right? 
because it's written, it's actually written. All right, this is the warning. This is the, all right, guys, I'm, yeah, right as Moses is giving them the law, he's like, seriously, don't try to use this to earn your way into God's presence. All right, if you try to do that, you will be cursed because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's the whole point. All right? And the church has always known this. Yeah, 400, 500 years ago, 400 and something years ago, they wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is, a, a, this is teaching doctrine to kids. All right? This is, this is the children's catechism. There's also a larger catechism, which is for the grown-ups. That's really mad. But this is the kids' one. What does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in that which is to come. Which means that legalists are where? Under God's curse. Alright, if you are going to try to be good enough for God, you are by definition under the curse of God. Which if you're a legalist, is really bad news, right? Because what do you have to do? You have to just try harder. Alright, if I'm, oh man, I'm not keeping the law well enough, I have to do everything. Everything written in the book of the law, I have to do it all the time. Ah, I've got to keep going. Alright, so you're in this sort of downward spiral that just drives you further and further and further and further away from God. It's the irony of legalism. We were looking at this a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? That, that actually the better you are, the further away from God you are. Right? It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And, and again, this is all the way through the Old Testament. And Paul picks up on um, Habakkuk. All right? He quotes Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. Now, book of Habakkuk, this is like seven centuries before Jesus yeah, and the same issue is playing out in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's the run-up to the Babylonians coming and taking the church into exile. And it starts with Habakkuk lamenting before God about just like how terrible the world is, how corrupt it is, and how evil everything is, and there's violence, and there's injustice, and there's wrongdoing, and there's destruction. He says, you know, the wicked hem in the righteous... Justice is perverted. And one of the, here's one of the really interesting things Habakkuk says right at the start of his book. The law is paralyzed. Right? There's all this evil and wickedness and violence and sin, and the law of God can't stop it. Can't do anything about it. And the Lord's response to Habakkuk is, yeah, I know. I know. That's why the Babylonians are coming. Babylon's already been sent for. It's going to take the people into exile, which is the ultimate curse of the law. Deuteronomy 28, verse 36. But judgment will come, but, says the Lord, it is still possible to live. Okay? Things are going wrong or going badly in the yellow line, but it is still possible to live. How? How can you live? The righteous 
will live by keeping the law well enough. No! Aren't you listening? The righteous will live by faith. Alright? That's how it's always been. You see, all Paul is doing in the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians is, is warning the church that they are at risk of making the same mistake that has been made in every generation throughout the long history of the church. And he's pleading with them, do not use the law in a way that will put you under its curse, that will send you back into exile, that will alienate you from God. All right? Again, we'll come back to this next week. So if you've got questions, yeah, but hold those questions and come back next Sunday and we'll, we'll revisit this. And Paul's plea to the Galatians is, look, you do not want to join Israel under the curse of the law. That's the thing. So how, you know, again, this is, this is all stuff Jesus, Jesus was dealing with. They asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? See, it's, it's everywhere. Legalism. What do I have to do to be good enough? And what does Jesus say? The work of God is this. Believe. Have faith. That's what the work of, that's it what you need to do to do what God requires. Believe in the one he sent. The one he sent to become a curse for us. Christ, says Paul, redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He becomes the curse so that we can be delivered from the curse and be redeemed. All right? Remember last week? You know, it's not that the law has died, right? It's that I have died to the law. So the law no longer has the ability to imprison me or condemn me. You see, that, and when, you, when, when we are willing to do that, right, when, we, when we stop trying to be good enough and simply trust Jesus, then God gives us the life of the Spirit. Right, and, and again, I'm just setting this up now for the next part of Galatians because what we're going to see is that grace completely changes how we live. Alright? Because the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in the life of the church. The Gospel is not just about what you believe, it is about how you live. And what we're going to see is that Paul was every bit as uncompromising about how we live as he is about what we believe. And that question of how we live that's what we're going to come back to and start building next week. There are few places in the Bible that get more into the nuts and bolts of how we live as Christians than the book of Galatians. And we're going to get into some of that over the next uh, few weeks. But it's about faith alone. It's about grace alone. It's about Christ alone. And there's little we could do that could be better than just to stand and to sing and to celebrate that before our God. So let's, let's do that now.